Well, this morning, thank you so much for being here. Last week, we opened with an introduction to the Gospel of Matthew. If you were not here last week, either get the notes or maybe listen online. And the reason I say that is because an introduction to any study of the Word of God, of any book in the Word of God, is extremely important. As I said last week, if you have a study Bible, hopefully your study Bible, if it's a good one, and I do say it that way, if it's a good one, it will have uh, a page or two of introductory material historical background, literary background, the author, uh, the context, you know, all of that kind of information is given in this background information before you read the gospel or the latter or one of the Old Testament books. Extremely important because it sets the stage. It sets the stage for our understanding of what God is saying to those people specifically at that time and then to us this morning specifically at this time. Amen? So we have to make sure, if you would, read the backgrounds, underline things, make notes. So when you're traveling through the literature, whatever it is, and you're not sure of something, go back to the background and get, oh, that's right, that's what this is all about. And so hopefully that will give us some... uh, ability to better understand what we're talking about. Father, as always, Father, when we open your word to teach or to preach or to counsel, Father, as always, we're standing on holy ground, but especially at this kind of a time. Father, this we believe by your spirit is your voice speaking to your people. Father, as you spoke to the children of Israel in Exodus 20, Father, as you spoke from heaven in Matthew 3, Father, as you spoke in Revelation throughout, Father, this is your speaking time to us. So, Father, we want to adjust our hearts and our ears that this is just not one of the guys in the church saying something. But, Father, through the words of men, we may hear your word to us, to receive that word, to meditate upon it, to chew it up, as the prophet was told, and to swallow it so that it will be sweet to the taste, ministering to us your mercy and your goodness. Father, thank you so much for this greatest of all privileges. Father, we don't know how much longer this freedom will be given to us in this land, so we want to take full advantage of it while we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we begin with chapter 1 of Matthew, and I do want to make a correction to last week's notes. I outlined last week's notes, at least in an outline that I see, is chapters 1 and 2, the presentation of God's Messiah King. Chapter 3, the announcement of the King. Chapter 4, the, are you following me in those old notes, the confrontation of the King. Chapters 5 through 20, uh, come on, old man, come on, old man, 25, uh, 
25 was the, how do you like that? I can't remember my word now. Someone help me what I said last week. Say what? Can, proclamation of the Messiah King. And this is where I went off a little bit. The two chapters of 26 and 27, the immolation, I-M-M-O-L-U, I-M-M-O-L-U. Help me, Bill. Immolation, I-M-M-O-L-A-T-I-O-N, the immolation of the king, and then the vindication of the king in chapter 28. Now, if you're not sure what that word I-M-M-O-L-A-T-I-O-N is, then I think you're just going to have to look it up because it has to do with sacrifice. It has to do with passion. It has to do with death. It has to do with all of that. So that's just how I felt the Lord give it to me. I mean, I was speaking to a friend of mine the other day, actually to Evan, and I said, yeah, when you look at the word and it just came out. You know how God gives you things? It just kind of came out and said, oh, I need to write that down before I forget all of them. So thankfully I did. So this morning we, we start with the first section of the outline that I give it, and it can be outlined a number of different ways, and that is the announcement of God's Messiah King. And that's chapters 1 and 2. This morning we'll be talking about verses seven, 1 through 17. Uh, Matthew's spirit-inspired purpose. Now remember, when we say Matthew said this, or Matthew did this, or Matthew decided that, or the Apostle John wrote it this way. That's correct. But we must remember that behind that Matthew did and John did, etc., is God using them as his instrument. These men are God's fountain pen. And so when we say that, Matthew's purpose is what? The purpose of the Holy Spirit through this author, Matthew, through this author, Paul, through whoever the author is. So Matthew's spirit is by purpose is what? To show that Jesus is Israel's promised. Remember the promise that was made? Where was the first promise of God going to send the Messiah? Where is that first promise? I think I have it in your notes. Where is the first promise? After the fall, God says, I'm sending a redeemer. Where is that? Genesis 3, 15. You remember that? the seed of the woman. Remember these things. Jesus' coming has been prophesied from Genesis 3 all the way through the Old Testament. In fact, the entire Old Testament, cumulatively and comprehensively, is one great promise or prophecy of God that he's sending his son to redeem his purpose that he began in Genesis 1 and 2. And so Matthew's purpose here, the Spirit's purpose, is to show us that God's intention to restore his original purpose in humanity will be achieved. And where is God's original purpose stated? What verse do you read in the Bible where it gives God's purpose for all humanity and now specifically for his people? Where is that purpose stated? In Genesis 1, 26. And what is God's purpose? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. I believe that verse is God's controlling purpose for all of humanity, for all of his people, which governs and is to be governing everything 
every aspect about our lives individually and corporately. Anything about my life, anything about your life, what should I do? Where should I go? Whatever it is, the answer is in that verse. The question is this. Is this decision, is this action, is this thought, is this desire, is this word, is this whatever, going to more fully image Jesus Christ or not? If you have a hesitancy and you're not sure, don't do it. If you have a hesitancy and not sure, it's better not to do it. That's the way our lives are lived. And in that verse, then God reveals that same verse in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Genesis one twenty six is in Exodus 20, verse 3, but you'll have to look that up yourself. So Jesus will accomplish all of this by doing what Adam failed to do. You remember, we went through Genesis. As God's anointed king of Israel, Jesus will establish the kingdom of God upon the earth, which Adam refused and failed to do because of his disobedience. God will send his son to establish his kingdom upon the earth as he fulfills the three mandates that he gave to Adam and that Adam was to walk out faithfully through his obedience. You remember we went extensively through Genesis, and hopefully we see that. So it is significant and very important to understand that what is written in this gospel, in the gospel of Mark, Luke, and John, what is written in the book of Acts, what is written in all of the letters of Paul, of Peter, of John, of whoever writes these letters, James, what is ever written in all of this, what is written in Revelation, all of that has to do with God fulfilling his purpose of Genesis one twenty six, All of it. So we see immediately when we begin to read the New Testament, we do not nor should we begin to read the New Testament or any part of the New Testament in separation from the old, but within the context and the shadow or underneath, if you would, the umbrella of the old. Because the new will never be understood and come to light in the way God desires it to be unless we get it from the perspective of what God has been doing, building up, building up, crescendoing to this great time in the birth of his son. So that's how we have to see our Bible. So how does Matthew accomplish this? Well, what he does, he inundates us with scripture from the Old Testament to fulfill, to fulfill, to fulfill. And so Matthew is peppered with scriptural references or allusions that show that this man and what he says and what he does and where he goes and what happens to him, that all of this that pertains to this great man is not something that just has begun to happen. Not something that happened because of external forces to himself and politics coming against him. Not something because of humanity's whatever. But it is that specific, decreed, purposeful will of God 
that God has stated will happen from the very beginning pages of the Old Testament to the close of the Old Testament. So what we see in Jesus, we are seeing the visible reality and outworking of Yahweh himself. Amen? We have to see it that way. Because you see, when we begin to see it that way, then all of a sudden, this man and who he is, but not only who he is, but what he does, becomes a grand and breathtaking, awe-inspiring revelation and experience to us, doesn't it? This is the way we must see our Bible. Why? Because this, I believe, is the way God has given us to see it. So this means that Jesus, that if Jesus and all of his works, this means that if Jesus and all or any of his works, this means that Jesus in all or any of his works must be in keeping with specific scriptural promises and passages and prophecies. It has to. If there is one word that comes out of the mouth of this grand man that is not in keeping with something specific of the Old Testament, this man is not the king of glory. If there's even one word, one action, one step, one desire, one anything that comes out of his mouth or that doesn't come out of the reverse side, that isn't in specific compliance with that which has been promised and prophesied and foreshadowed, lest he isn't the king of glory. But what's the good news? He is. Listen to what the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins, what? In accordance or in keeping or in fulfillment of the scriptures. That he was buried and that was he was raised again on the third day in keeping with, in accordance, in fulfillment, in compliance with the what? The scriptures. Do you remember what caused the eyes and the minds by the Holy Spirit of the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, having left Jerusalem after the crucifixion. And if anybody was downtrodden, those people, those men and women who were with Jesus and had hoped that he was the Messiah, the Redeemer, the King, all of our hope, all of our hope is in this man. (gasps) And he's dead. I, I don't know even, I can't even get near what that must have felt like. I can't even get near what it must have felt like. He's gone. Ashley, no more. And if he's gone, Alice, there's nothing anymore life can give me to hope in. Nothing. And then this man appears and he begins to speak to them. And in Luke 24, verse what? 44. What does he say? And beginning with Moses and the prophets and all the Psalms, he showed them all this was written by himself, about himself. 
See, all of the word of God in the Old Testament is a single testimony, Shane. It's a single testimony, brother. After Genesis 3, 6, what is the testimony? My son's coming. The son is coming. The son is coming. What's the testimony of the Old Testament? The son is coming. What's the testimony of the New Testament? The son is here. And what's the promise of eternal life? We will be with him, ruling and reigning with him forever. So I don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday. I care, but there is one place I don't care. Because whatever happens on Tuesday will not affect the grand purpose and decree of God Almighty. Amen? And don't let it be idolatrous in you and in me that we become overcome by what happens in this world. I hope that wasn't Keith's sermon. If it was, I'm sorry. So let's look at the announcement. I'm kind of dragging along here. I'm sorry. Chapters, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. The king is announced. Look at this. Look at these first 17 verses. I'm not going to read them to you, but look at how we begin. We want to begin to announce he's coming. The promised one is coming. Here's how we say he's coming. So what does Matthew do? He begins to give you a long list of old people. I mean, these are really old people. Very old people. Peculiar names. And he gives you in 17 verses all this list, this what is called genealogy. Now, if you look, remember the Old Testament, it gives you a whole lot of lists. Remember how Numbers begins? With lists. Remember the list in Nehemiah and Ezra? All these lists. All these lists in, in uh, Chronicles. I mean, all these people, one after another after another. Well, it shows us a couple of things. And I think basically what the Lord is showing you here is this. Even though it may never look like it outside here or wherever, let me show you God is faithful to one generation after another. He is keeping his promise from generation to generation. And even when Jehoiakim was the last king in line of David through whom Jesus could come, and it looked like he was going to be killed, he was taken into captivity into Babylon, and his life was spared. Why? Why did the Babylonian king spare that king's life? Because God put his hand of safety and protection upon that king. Why? Because the Messiah would come through that king. God is faithful. God is faithful to bring about that which he has promised and purposed. Does my life, does your life need that kind of word? Yes, it does. He's proving God's faithfulness in keeping his promise. Remember, I have Numbers chapter 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Has he said it and will he not do it? Or has he spoken it and will he not fulfill it? Well, we said that... Matthew is going to prove that Jesus is the Messiah through the use of Old Testament revelation and scriptures and references. Well, how does this genealogy connect Jesus to God's purpose in Genesis or in the Old Testament? Well, look at the first verse. Now, you're not going to see it in English, but you would see it in the Greek. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Does Matthew 1-1 start that way for most of your Bibles? You should have a Bible in here some kind of way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The word book of the genealogy is Biblos Genesisos or Genesis. Evan would have to help me on this. It's, it, it's the word for 
book and Genesis. It's the book of the beginnings. What Matthew was saying here is, this is the way I'm going to begin this. What I'm going to tell you, this is the book of Genesis. This is the book of genealogies. This is the book of first beginnings of Jesus Christ. And so by using that phrase, Matthew immediately connects the incarnation. What does that mean? The birth of Jesus. The birth, the Genesis, the beginning, the birth, the Genesis. We'll see that next week, I think. He begins immediately to show us something, that what happens in the incarnation is immediately connected to and is the result specifically many years later of what God did in Genesis and how he proposed to fulfill his purpose. How is it? He brings forth another man. And in this man, all of his purposes will be kept as it was not in the first man. So in effect, Matthew is saying that as God brought forth the first Adam to declare his glory upon the earth. Remember? Remember in chapter 2? He now, because of Adam's failure and rebuke of God and refusal, God now has birth or has genesis, has begun to bring about his purpose in the person of Jesus. And so what we see here is the birth of this child will be the birth of God's real Adam. Now, lest we forget, we have to remember this. Did God know ahead of time in Genesis that Adam would fail? Yes. What Bible verse will you use to prove that? I'll give you one. I'll give you one Bible verse. Ephesians 1, 4. Before the foundation of the world. And that's also repeated in the revelation of John a couple of different times. Before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4. Before the foundation of the world. You need to see that what happens in Genesis chapter 3, the repudiation of God's purpose did not catch God off guard at all, but he was already prepared for it, knowing it would happen according to his decree. Because, you see, it was always God's purpose to show that in a sinless, perfect meaning, without flaw person, my glory and my image cannot be shown. It can only be shown as I declare it myself, in my son, as a man. Isn't that something? God knew that. Now, the mystery of God, the fall and all, I can't go, I I don't know. But there is something there to say, well, what if Adam had not? It's impossible. Don't even go down the road. It's impossible. Now, that may rattle your cage, but I think, Hopefully that should solidify your confidence in a God that whom you have been saved, he will keep you as he did his own purpose. Amen? So let it be rattled in some other areas, but God who saves us is the God whose purpose was foreknown before the foundation of the world, and he who has saved us is on the other side of it all bringing us through. Amen?
Absolutely, absolutely. So in these verses, Matthew, these verses serve as a bridge between Genesis and the incarnation, these 17 verses. And in these verses, what Matthew has done, he has taken Genesis all the way through, what's the last book of the Bible? All right, here I am. The last book of the Old Testament, sorry. What is it? Malachi. And he's taken all of those books from Genesis to Malachi. How many all together? 39. And he has collapsed all that history into 17 verses. He's given you a history of the Old Testament in 17 verses. He's given you the history of God working out and moving toward the accomplishment of his purpose, not taking 39 books to do it, but taking 17 verses to do it. You see, the Holy Spirit can teach a whole lot in a little time. That's why I get worried about how much I'm tending to him. You know, I'm, 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 I'm joined with others in that same category. I know that. <clears throat> See, so what is that purpose? Let's just reiterate quickly. What is that purpose that the Holy Spirit has given to us in 17 verses? The entire Old Testament in 17 verses. What is that purpose? Let's remember God's purpose for Adam and Eve. We have to go back just for a moment. So what does it say in Genesis 1.26? Let us make man in our image. And then you remember, God made Adam and placed him into the garden of his earthly sanctuary. Remember Genesis 2, 7, the Lord ah, breathed into this man whom he had made from the dust of the earth. What does he do? Ah, he, ah, Ruach, ah, the spirit of God, the breath of God. Ah, he breathes into Adam and Adam becomes a living, me, a living soul. Then in Genesis 2.8, he takes Adam from outside the garden. He doesn't create him in the garden. He creates him outside the garden. And what does he do? He puts him where? Into the garden, into the place of God's presence, into the place of God's purpose, into the place of fellowshipping with God. He takes Adam and does that. What a picture of what he does to us, taking us out of the wilderness of this world by the Holy Spirit. And you see that in Ezekiel chapter uh, 36, verses 25 to 27. And then you see the revelation or the outworking or an example of it in Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10. Just amazing. And then this is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 3. The Ruach of God called what? The wind of God, the spirit of God. So what he does in Adam is a picture of what he will do in us, in Christ. We were dead in the earth, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We were dead. But God, what? Breathe upon us the Holy Spirit, birthed us into Christ, to which we said yes by faith. Amen? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That's how it works. So what was God's purpose in Adam? God's purpose was that through Adam, all humanity would declare his glory, the glory of his nature and of his character, as Adam did, would, was supposed to do through the three mandates. Remember the three mandates? To what? Genesis 128? Do what? Subdue and 
rule the earth, king. Fill the earth, evangelism, multiply, fill the earth. And in 215, what? He was to work and keep the garden. And that is he was to guard and minister the worship of God in the garden. He was to guard the garden. How do I know that? Well, the word keep means to guard. You see that in Numbers 2, verses 7 and 8. You see that there. And so how did the serpent get into the garden in Genesis chapter 3? The serpent was more crafty than all the beasts of the field. Genesis 3, the garden is not the field. There's a distinction between the garden or the place of God where everything is according to God's purpose, the garden. Everything is according to God's purpose in this garden, or at least it's supposed to be. But outside the garden, that is a place of chaos. Now, that doesn't mean everything's running up and down and exploding. It just means that the purpose of God has not yet begun to control and be manifested in the garden. And so it's chaos out there, if you would, in that sense. And so the serpent was the most crafty of all the serpents that the Lord God had made, serpents of the field. How did that thing get from the field into the garden? Only one way. Listen, men, men, heads up. God gave Adam. He did not give Eve this. He gave Adam the personal responsibility of governorship, of protection. And Adam knew it. And some way, which is not explained to us, Adam allowed that slippery, slimy serpent to sneak in. Some way, Satan got in through Adam's capitulation through Adam's not doing what he was supposed to do. He got in that way. That was the original fault that brought about the fall. And then he deceived, remember, serpent deceived Eve, and then Adam purposefully sinned. That should send a chill up every man's back here. So what happened? Eve was deceived, and Adam, along with her, was not deceived, but purposefully he decided to make an idol out of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That which God put in the garden for Adam and Eve's blessing, Adam sought it for his own benefit. It became an idol. Amen? It became an idol. It became an idol. Often we hear, and I hear, well, it's a good thing. This is okay. This is okay. I asked someone the other day, hey, man, I miss you in church Sunday. You know, some time ago. Well, I received tickets to the Saints game. Oh, oh. Now, is going to the Saints game on Sunday a sin? Is it a sin? It depends, is the answer. You see, it depends. It depends. And so I asked the fellow, oh, oh you, you, you got t- can you imagine getting tickets to the Saints game? And they won. 
Well, I got tickets. Well, that automatically says. So I just ask one question. I don't like asking questions, but I do. I just said, Frank, I just said, well, did the Holy Spirit tell you this is what you're supposed to do? Did you ask? The person looked at me like headlight. What is it? Deer in headlights? And the person just stood there and said, no. I said, I don't know whether it's the Lord's will for you to go. Did you notice I didn't condemn it? Please remember. Did you just notice that? I didn't condemn the saints. I didn't condemn going to football. I didn't condemn watching it. I said this. Did the Lord show you? Is that what he led you to do? Did he say, you don't have to go to my house today and be in my presence. You can go to the game. He may tell you that. Because there may be someone sitting right next to you at the game who needs to hear the gospel, and that's why he sent you there. Hopefully he didn't send you there just for the saints. Hopefully he sent you there for more than that. But Adam made made what? An idol. Oh, it would be okay. I think it would be all right. Whatever. So much of it is in my life. So much of it is in the church. I have to fight for freedom here. And as a consequence, God promised that Adam, remember Genesis 3, 6, and he ate the last three words of the verse. As a consequence, God promised that he would redeem humanity. Remember the seed of the woman. And that that redemption would come through the blood of an innocent. Where do we see that? The reference may be in your Bible, but hopefully you would know. Reference is what? The redemption of mankind will be through his son, through the shedding of innocent blood. His son will shed the blood. Where do you see that? Beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Major verses, major verses to know and to understand so that when we speak of the gospel and when we see this man appear on the earth, we know that he is here to do what God said he would do in Genesis that he promised he would do and demonstrated he would do in types and shadows and in prophecies throughout the Old Testament so that this one who will be born will be the accumulation of the entire work and purpose and prophecy and promise of God from the very beginning being fulfilled in one person at one time. Amen? Absolutely incredible in my mind. These also, these verses show us there are people in here. Won't have time to go in there. There are four ladies written in here. Without looking at the Bible, who are they? The first one is where? Tamar. The first one is Tamar. The second one is Rahab. The third one is Ruth. And the fourth one is Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Now, what does that say? That says this, that the genealogy of Jesus is peppered with unsavory people and a bunch of Gentiles. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that you have a 132nd of your blood is of that type of people? Ooh. Come on, Southerners. Come on. Jesus had a 132nd of that. How did he get it? God put it in there. Why? Because you see, promise to Abraham was in chapter 12 and 17, the nations shall be blessed through your seed. 15. Where did that come from? Because God had told uh, Adam, fill the earth. It's all in keeping with God's promise. Don't you see? 
It's a flowing of God's promise. And so Matthew shows here that in the genealogy of Jesus, we're going back to Genesis, and this is going to be a fulfillment of that. And look, the Gentiles shall come in. The Gentiles shall come in. Naming these women. Now, it's very interesting to see some of the in, uh, things about these women. You know who Rahab is? Hmm. You know who Tamar is? I mean, that, she may be worse than Rahab. And her son, Perez, is in the line of Jesus. Oh, oh, my word. You see, had we been writing this, we would have covered all that over and skipped it. But the Lord specifically puts it in there to show oh, the extensive, awesome radicalness of his grace to save even people like that. Oh, and if he saved that, there is hope for us. And if he saved that, he can save that, that in your life. You know, everybody has a that in your life. Is there somebody in your life that he can save that person too? So you see, God is keeping this. Immediately, God is, Holy Spirit is showing us that the coming of God's Messiah is a consequence of God's promised grace to his people. That what he has promised, he will always be faithful to accomplish. Philippians 1.6, what does it say? And I am convinced of this very one thing, that he who has begun a good work in you shall bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Read the next portion, chapter, uh, verse 18, to the end of chapter 2, and we'll see how far we get next week. Thank you.